you know, it's a great point that we're not reinventing the wheel here. We're not creating some brand new concept for how to analyze data. We're just reinventing it within cybersecurity because cybersecurity as a whole has always been kind of lagging behind these other industries. And all we're saying is, if this is working for someone else, let's use it for us. We're trying to solve the same problems here. Welcome to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast, where we share short and to the point perspectives on the cyber landscape. It's all about engaging yet casual conversations on what organizations are doing to reimagine their cyber programs while ensuring their business objectives are top priority. With my co-host, Stan Wisseman, Head of Security Strategists. I'm Rob Borrego, Chief Security Strategist, and this is Reimagining Cyber. So Stan, who do we have joining us for this episode? Rob, our guest today is Sarah Anstey. Sarah is a data analytics manager at Novacoast and is passionate about empowering businesses to use everyday data to make strategic business decisions. She believes that the intentional adoption of a data-driven culture can be a key differentiator to companies in today's security climate. Sarah has experience in custom web development, artificial intelligence, data analytics, business intelligence, and applied statistics. It's great to have you with us today, Sarah. Can you start by sharing a little bit more about your background for us? Yeah, thanks. No, it's great to be on. Thanks for inviting me. Um, so yeah, like, like you said, I'm a data analyst ma manager for a company called Novacoast. Uh, we're a cybersecurity consulting firm. So a lot of the work that I do is helping our clients understand their risk and understand their data within the cybersecurity space. Um, I work with a lot of software products in the cybersecurity market to try to help with their dashboarding and their reporting, um, try to do a lot of executive reporting to CISO levels, to the CEO, to the board, and really help everyone make the best business decisions from their data and get the most use out of the data they're collecting in all of their systems. Um, so as far as my background, I've been working with Novacoast for about four years now. Um, I worked for Apple on their maps team as a data scientist, um, and I majored in engineering from University of Michigan. I think data analytics is being used seemingly by everybody, right? To, to, to apply that kind of science to different use cases. And when it comes to cybersecurity, what are some of the specific benefits that you're seeing uh, companies start to realize by using data analytics? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's definitely something that's being adopted a lot more lately, um, not only in cybersecurity, but a lot of different industries um, in the business world. And what I find is that there's a huge step between using your data and analyzing it and then using it to make business decisions and actually get intelligent information from it. And that's a step that companies are having a really hard time making or trying to invest a lot of money into to make that leap. Um, within cybersecurity specifically, one of the biggest benefits of analyzing data is that everything within cybersecurity is, is very not visible. It's something that is really hard to see. You can't really see your risk of getting breached. You can't see attacks coming in. And for that reason, a lot of the times CEOs or the board of companies don't want to invest that much money in it because they don't necessarily see a return on investment from it or they don't see revenue being generated. So a way that we've been using data, data analytics for a lot of our customers lately is to help people understand the value of the investment that they're making in cybersecurity and why it's important to purchase different tools or have headcount within your cyber department, even though it's not necessarily generating revenue for a company. So if you can demonstrate that value to executives, then they can you know, hopefully get behind the, the business case uh, to purchase or to support the team. 
Exactly. So it's about looking at not only, you know, what different areas are bringing in revenue, but how can we stop the potential loss of, of money for our organization and realizing that investing in something that is going to stop you from losing money is just as good as making money in the organization and that that still needs to be invested in. And helping to understand that, you know, the vulnerability management product that you purchased is actually helping you patch and it's helping make you more secure and helping you understand that using a PAM solution is going to, you know, make you more secure within within your access management. Um, So really just helping people see the value of the tools that they already have and then realizing whether or not they should purchase additional ones. That makes sense. And it's a lot of the same things I think, you know, we've been hearing, right, talking to different organizations out there and the the value realization, as you just mentioned, I think is, is still a problem area. So when you, when you take into consideration the conversations that you're having and engagements you're having with different clients, we're still seeing kind of this, this difficulty of um, risk quantification, cyber-related risk quantification, and providing clarity of that, right? And something that, as you said, it's tangible. So they can understand it. They can understand the impacts to the organization. When you look at different models, you know, such as FAIR, and there's kind of some question marks at times around, you know, how applicable is it and, and, and things of that nature, that's fine. Um, but really, what are some of the different ways that you're starting to see the board, the executive suite, have more clarity on what the actual kind of risk ramifications can be? Kind of what are the visual representations? What are the models that are able to start providing value that are relatable to them and understandable to them as the impacts it would mean to their organizations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one of the most important ways to help the board or the CEO realize that value and start to communicate this to them is, like you said, what we call quantifiable or quantitative risk analysis. So this is about stopping and stopping from using those qualitative skills. So think red, yellow, green, or you know, scale of one to five and rating risks on that type of risk matrix to moving to really more of a quantitative approach. And you mentioned FAIR, that's what they're all about. So the FAIR Institute is trying to help cybersecurity use quantitative models from the financial industry and understand your risk in that way. And that's also you know, what we've been doing and helping our customers with. So going to your CEO or your board and saying, we have 800 critical vulnerabilities right now and we can patch 100 in the next month, you know? That's really hard to communicate with them, especially if it's a non-technical audience or it's hard for them to translate those technical metrics into ROI or what should we invest in the organization. Whereas if you come to them with dollar amounts and risk likelihoods, it's speaking a lot more in their terms. And that's all about what quantitative risk analysis and Monte Carlo simulations do. It's helping to translate those really technical cybersecurity metrics into our risk for getting breached this year is $250,000. We should invest a different, an additional $1,000 or $100,000 you know, to mitigate that risk. And it's helping to translate things that that board wants to hear and what they understand. So you mentioned Monte Carlo models and I guess mm-hmm. I've seen those used elsewhere, but I hadn't really necessarily seen it applied in, in the cybersecurity context. Um, can you expand on how use of Monte Carlo models can help potentially predict the probability of different outcomes and, and provide some examples of how you utilized them? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So Monte Carlo models are a really interesting use case because they're used a lot of times, like you said, in other industries, such as the financial industry or the insurance industry, to try to understand risk and how much premiums people should be charged. So if you think about the risk of insuring a patient, say you don't know if they're going to get cancer in the next year. You don't know if they're going to get in a car crash, right? You don't know the risk of something happening to them, but you have to charge them a premium to try to mitigate and understand your risk and still make a profit. The models that insurance companies use for that is called a Monte Carlo simulation, where you basically will simulate the next year 10,000, 100,000 different times with all different variables, all different things that could possibly happen. So all of your inputs are going to be a range. It's something that could happen in the next year. You know, you could either get cancer, you could stay healthy, you could develop diabetes, all these things that might happen and what the likelihood of them happening is. And then you simulate that next year, 100,000 times, and you see on average, how much are we spending to insure this person? And from there, you can develop what your premium is going to be. If you translate that over to cybersecurity, we can actually do the same thing. Because what we're trying to figure out is what is our risk of getting breached in the next year? And how much should we invest to potentially mitigate that? And how much of that investment is going to be seen as ROI in terms of reducing our risk for a potential breach? And we can simulate the next year 1,000, 100,000 different times and look at, well, if we, if we look at the next year 100,000 different times, how many times do people click on a phishing link? How many times does that phishing link contain malware? Or how many times do people put in their credentials and, you know, get, get, their admin account taken over? How many times do these different things happen? And then we can start to look at the averages and say, on average, in the next year, if we look at it 100,000 different times, we lost $285,000 due to getting breached and due to penalties that we had to pay for it and PII getting stolen and reputation loss. And then we can say, because we know that that is our risk, on average, we're losing that much money if we invest $100,000, it'll actually bring our, our risk down to you know, only $50,000. And that's how we can see a positive ROI there. So that's yeah. kind of in a brief what a Monte Carlo simulation is. It's using a variety of different inputs because we don't know for sure what's going to happen and, and doing multiple simulations based on different distributions to try to understand on average what could happen and what is our risk. I mean, I think that's much more defensible than what I used to do, which was, okay, so an average um, record uh, as far as how much it costs um, impact-wise when if there's a data breach is this much and we have this many records and therefore our potential breach cost is X and we try to make a business case around that. Um, It's sort of like pie in the sky and not very um, compelling to an executive is like, really, is that all you're doing is, 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 is calculating the potential maximum breach costs. Um, that doesn't really fly very well when you're trying to, you know, get money from them. Whereas if you actually have a much more defensible, analyzed quantitative, quantitative approach, um, you can actually hopefully get past those naysayers. I think the example though, of using, um, proven models with Monte Carlo in other industries is a great way. I think, you know, if we, if we look at cybersecurity, it's still very immature, comparatively speaking, kind of area functional that we have to support a business, right? Finance, marketing, all those things have been around for a while. They've learned along the way, right? Marketing's done a lot of things around analytics to help them drive kind of targeting customers. So I think your um, tie-in here to leveraging something that is proven in other parts of a functional 
part of an organization and translating that is, is great because there's a foundation for them to, from the board level, at least an executive suite to understand, okay, I see where we're going with this. If you take that one step further, Sarah, have you seen some real world examples of any organizations that are starting to take that path and it's providing a better, you know, reality of, you know, what the probability of these things are happening, the actual um, accuracy, right? The cost, the actual costs associated. Are you, are you seeing any kind of early adopters where that's coming to fruition? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's a great point that we're not reinventing the wheel here. We're not creating some brand new concept for how to analyze data. We're just reinventing it within cybersecurity because cybersecurity as a whole has always been kind of lagging behind these other industries. And all we're saying is, if this is working for someone else, let's use it for us. We're trying to solve the same problems here. So, you know, let's let's use what's already been proven. And yeah, like you said, there's a lot of organizations that are starting to not only come to us to help us do that, but have also had internal champions trying to get fair, um, you know, more realized at their organization or having quantitative risk models applied. So we were working with um, one of the large tax firms in the U.S. and doing some other data analytics dashboarding work for them. And I just kind of started talking to one of their cybersecurity leaders and he was telling me all about how he's bringing quantitative risk analysis into his organization to try to help translate to the board because when he was taking over this new position, he realized, you know, he had a monthly obligation to, to report to the CEO. Every month they had to, to sync up about their risk in cybersecurity, and he really had no good way to do it. Um, so we're seeing a lot of different organizations try to do this, and it's everywhere from those large financials who, like I said, are, are using it for their financial risk and are now starting to adopt it in cybersecurity, all the way down to small companies who are using it more to try to justify budget um, for purchasing a product. So we find a lot of times that either smaller financial institutions or smaller healthcare are trying to implement this because their CISO or one of their VPs in cybersecurity knows that they need to buy, let's say, a PAM solution. And they know that they have a lot of risk, but they need to buy it, but they don't know how to justify that to the board and say, I need $50,000 to buy this PAM solution and here's why. And so we find for smaller use cases and smaller companies, They've been using this quantitative risk analysis to, to justify purchasing a single product that a lot of times might be, you know, more of a stretch in budget for those smaller companies who just don't have as much that they can put toward a cybersecurity defense or budget. So obviously the data you're working with is important, right? Those data sets, mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned the insurance companies, right? The insurance companies have a lot of data to work with that then they can feed into the models for their simulations. Mm-hmm. As far as what you're working with to ensure that you're, you know, uh, hopefully working with data that doesn't lead to decision-making that is flawed, right? Um, Are you curating your own data to feed those models? Are you having to extract data from the customer? Is it a mix between the two as far as ultimately to say, here's what we recommend based on the models that we are running with the data sets we have, you know, how are you actually curating that data? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple of different resources that we use. Um, The first would be, so like you mentioned, insurance industries, they have a lot of historical data. They can see what's been happening in the past, what people, you know, what likelihoods are to get different diseases or things like that. And cybersecurity, really the only version of that kind of historical data that we're starting to have is with a lot of industry reports. So if you think of reports like the Verizon data breach report Mm -hmm. or the IBM cost of a breach, we can pull data from those reports for the last few years to try to at least understand, you know, 
when companies are getting breached and breached through different attack vectors, how much on average are they losing? How many records are being breached? You know, what's the time to detect that breach? Um, things like that. So we can pull in a little bit of historical data, but we definitely don't have as much available as other areas. So we'll use some of that data. And then what we do is we supplement it with subject matter expert estimations. So if we look back to the Monte Carlos and I said, we input a range of data. The way that we're doing this is we're talking to subject matter experts, whether it's in their organization or you know, a third party organization and saying, when you look at your security environment right now in your organization, what do you think the likelihood of someone clicking on a phishing attack is? Or what do you think the likelihood of, you know, if a phishing attack is clicked, that it's going to contain malware? And so we'll, we'll conduct these interviews to try to get their estimations and put ranges in to that Monte Carlo so that we can simulate different outcomes. And then the other thing that we're doing in that space is if you look at um, kind of a psychological concept, actually, about how humans can estimate things that they don't know. Humans are actually really bad inherently at estimating when they don't know the, the true answer to something. So if you think of a really common example would be as if your boss comes to you for a project and says, hey, how many hours is, is this going to take you? And you kind of estimate it. Inherently, you usually will underestimate a lot. You're really bad at doing, doing those estimations. But as humans, if you look at a lot of different psychological principles, you can actually learn how to become better at estimating things even if you don't know the outcome. So the other thing that we'll do is we will train people on how to get rid of their internal bias and become better estimators when we're using those estimations for the input data to try to make um, those models more sticky and really have more realistic inputs. And then the last thing that we'll use for input data is just um, environment data for, for different companies. So we'll look at, you know, if you ran a phishing simulation last year, what percent of your users clicked? Or how many critical vulnerabilities do you have on your different laptops? Things like that. Um, so kind of a supplement of all three types. You've got the industry reports, data from their environment, and estimations from, from experts who understand the industry and their current adoption of best practices. So, so you know, it's interesting. As, as you're talking about the different approaches, um, to modeling risk overall, right? That, that people are taking. Um, I'm just kind of putting on my, my, my visualization cap and saying, you know, when we present to, again, if it's the board, if it's, you know, get executive buy-in, um, that simple visualization, the translation is, is what I'm getting at. You talked about earlier, like, you know, hey, we have 800 vulnerabilities. If we solve for these hundred it equals this, and it's still it's, it's too much of a technical conversation. They don't understand what that impact actually is. Um, you painted the picture of an example of a, you know, a smaller company that can take some of this kind of modeling and translate it back into why they need to invest in PAM and what the relative dollars could be there that are saved by spending X, right? But you're still saving, I think in your example, is almost like $200,000 if something happens relative to not having that type of solution. Great, great examples. Is there an example that though you kind of can walk through, again, it's even a visual representation where they're having this conversation to get the executive buy-in. If it's a board level conversation, you know, it's kind of CISO seven minute slot, as I like to call it. What's that simple kind of view that you've seen work that just gets them to say, okay, that's logically understood by me at this level that I'm at within the business to be effectively something that we're going to say yes and give you the nod to move forward with. Is, is there anything that kind of comes to mind as a visual way to look at this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, there's a couple different things. So usually when we run these simulations, the outputs are going to be one, what we call your inherent risk. 
So that's your risk right now in terms of a dollar amount, say it's, you know, 200,000 or whatever it is, if you don't implement any additional controls in your environment. And then we'll have what's called your residual risk. So say we're running a simulation of you buying the PAM solution, for example. If you were to implement that, to not only buy it, but also maintain it at a high level of efficacy, what is your residual risk, your leftover risk going to be with that implemented? So say your, your inherent risk was at 250K and now your residual risk is only 120,000, for example. We'll present those two numbers and those are just dollar amounts that are obviously very easy for them to digest. And then we can also have what's called an ROI multiplier. So your ROI multiplier is just going to be looking at how much did it reduce your risk? So looking at that 250 minus 150,000 over what was the actual cost to not only buy that control, but also to have people install it and implement it and then maintain it for the next year, again, at a high level of usage and, and efficacy. So then we'll have an ROI multiplier and we can look and say, if it's positive, we know that there's a positive ROI on this tool and you should buy it. And then if it's negative, we know that you're actually going to be spending more money buying and maintaining this tool than it's going to be reducing your risk. So in this case, it's not a good investment. So those are some of the outputs. And then to visualize it a little bit more, what we'll also do is typically what's a, called a histogram. So looking at a plot of if we were to simulate that next year, like I said, 100,000 times, we will plot out for every single simulation, all 100,000, how much money you lost in that trial. And think about it, a lot of them are going to be zero, right? So let's say half the time in the next year, you don't get breached, you don't lose a single dollar due to any cybersecurity breaches or anything like that. But there could be some that are a million, two million, you know, accounting for those major data breaches, because we always want to account for the possibility that that can happen. So we'll plot all of those replications out into a, a graph. That way the board can actually see, hey, if we replicate this next year 100,000 times, here's how many times you guys are losing over $500,000 due to cybersecurity breach. Here's how many times you're losing over a million. And then we'll have the conversation with them. Are you okay with that? Because some companies, if you have only a one in 100,000 chance of losing $2 million in the next year, they're like, yeah. We're, we're okay with that amount of risk. That's below what our risk tolerance as an organization is. Some companies who, you know, maybe their total revenue is a million dollars would say, absolutely not. You know, we need to, to mitigate this. We need to try to, to bring that, that down. Um, so it's all about just having a conversation with them really in terms of dollars and saying, what is your risk appetite? Are you okay with losing $100,000 20% of the time? And if not, we need to continue invest, investing more in cybersecurity to get that below what your acceptable level of risk is. Sarah, thanks for, for describing your visuals and your dashboard yeah. for a podcast audience. It'd be so much easier <laughs> if we were able to just say, and here are the examples. But you did a full, I, I could understand what you're trying to um, convey there. Uh, we've been talking at the executive level and helping drive decisions, right, um, with this data. It seems to me, though, you can actually take it down, right? I mean, you should be able to, to help with other levels of the organization by providing them this information to help them with their roles. Are you seeing that as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So typically, what the most effective way to use data within cybersecurity and visualize things is, is you're going to have those very high-level dashboards like we've been talking about that just show dollar amounts, they just show risk, they just show ROI for the CEOs and the executives. 
But then if you take it a step down, let's say maybe your CISO, well, your CISO can get a little bit more tactive and, you know, technical. They can kind of understand vulnerability count. Maybe they can understand a couple, you know, SIM alerts and different DLP things. And so we can take it down maybe one more level for them, still showing things at a pretty high level, but maybe showing, hey, your SIM had 500% increase in alerts in the past week. And then the CISO will go to you know, their SOC and say, hey, what's going on with our SIM? And then we want to drill down to the next level of dashboard. So now we want a specific SIM level dashboard showing all of the different alerts, all the different cases, what's been firing when, what different rules are going off. So thinking about it as always just drilling down another level. So we'll start high level and then say, if we're looking at a CISO, anything that's red or anything that's kind of on fire, or huge increases, let's drill into that. And then once we drill into that, maybe we can find what's the actual outlier here or, oh, it was the past week that there's been more alerts going off. Okay, let's drill into the logs. And now we're looking at the logs and now we're really understanding all of the source data. So it's just about continuing to think of the different perspectives all the way up from the CEO down to your security analyst and what different data they're gonna need to help perform their job and answer the questions that their boss is asking. Sarah, I think, um, first off, very insightful. I think just sharing the examples of, again, kind of going back to the Monte Carlo models and just, you know, it's, it's like the light bulb went off when we were talking about that. You know, the, the proven models, translating them to how we can actually apply it to cyber needs. Um, it just, it makes sense, right? Kind of going through the different iterations of it to get to the point where it shows, you know, the way you want it to be presented. I get it. It takes a little bit of time. But then you took it all the way from there to paint the picture visually, kind of, you know, as you described it right on the podcast, but then down to the level of we can work with different team members across the board within the cyber program and give them value into what we're actually doing as well, right? Give them guidance and the different things they need to work at. So I think it's very holistic in the approach. It's nice to see that it's starting to be better adopted. I know we've had conversations uh, in the past, and uh, I, I think of one um, kind of iconic CISO in the security space that, uh, I'm sorry, in the insurance space himself that kind of started doing those things, but it didn't kind of always get to where, you know, it was desired. So hearing some of these advancements is, is very, very nice to see. And I think the effectiveness of it um, will start to see better, you know, translation to value and how they actually represent what they're all about in their programs going forward. So thanks for the time. Really appreciate you coming on here today. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was super fun. Um, and I agree. I think it's just starting to meld different mindsets um, into cybersecurity. So not only having cybersecurity analysts be in the cybersecurity space now, but bringing in data analysts, bringing in financial you know, actuaries or math people or all these different things who can understand the cybersecurity part, but understand you know data or math or all of these different aspects and really just helping helping all of the, the CISOs of the world and everyone in, in cybersecurity to get the most value out of what they're doing in their organizations. Because I think as we've all seen lately, cybersecurity is going to keep growing. It's, it's not getting smaller. So we just need to keep bringing in new ideas and adopting things that we've seen work for other people. No question about it. Well, thanks again, Sarah. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for listening to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to have us cover a specific topic of interest, feel free to reach out to us and you can find out how in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe. This podcast was brought to you by CyberRes, a micro-focused line of business, where our mission is to deliver cyber resilience by engaging people, process, and technology to protect, detect, and evolve.